0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We are discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and today we're going to continue our conversation from State of the Coast. Um, We are going to re-air the panel that I moderated along with Mark Schlefstein of the Times-Picayune, Brian Boyles of Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, Amy Wold with the Water Institute of the Gulf, and Chuck Peridon with the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. And we discussed ways that we need to communicate about Louisiana's land loss crisis and raise attention to it. So without further ado, we'll play you the audio now. The Water Institute is putting out so much great science and resources. And I work with scientists. We all do, you know, to a certain extent. And it's always... A wonderful thing when you have that amazing science communicator right and it's not just scientists sometimes people with communications backgrounds aren't the best communicators but what advice would you give to someone to really just nail that killer soundbite and make sure that they're giving folks like Mark or yourself or Brian um, what they need to tell effective stories
1: I think one of the very helpful tools is to um, metaphors you can't underestimate that. I mean, a drop in a swimming pool. Um, honestly, for, for Coastal, the most powerful event, have uh, been, I don't know, 100 minutes. You know. People understand that. They can picture a football field, they know what 100 minutes is, they get that. Um, I saw a really good example of um, how fast do satellites travel. Well, it's about four times the speed of a jetliner. Okay, I understand what a jetliner is, and I understand that goes very fast. It doesn't have to be exact. It has to be meaningful, and I think that's a really good tool to get across some very complicated ideas. Yeah. Mark probably has some
0: any
2: anything to add there, Mark? Um, no, I that that really is uh, you know one of the key things. Uh, I know that a lot of scientists have concerns about putting huge expectations on on what they're doing, uh, but you know I look at this, you know I come. My, my view of this is that we are in the midst of the world's largest environmental experiment, and we should all understand what that means, and we should be explaining it. So, you know, we, I think we all have a responsibility to explain it to the best of our ability. and. Indeed, using those kinds of, I mean, you know, we always use the super domes, so it's like the sediment.
3: For I think the, we're up to 23 super domes of sediment <laughs> right, that we have is 12, uh, pumped and in place. 12 super domes of sediment were used? Thir- to build 13. The it's islands. 13, yeah. 13. Yeah, 13, okay.
2: So, so you know, people have an understanding of what that is, uh, at least until they rebuild the super um and uh you know those sorts of things are important it's also important you know i (laughs) i remember nancy rabelais will never forgive me for this but um i uh you know i went out on a cruise with nancy rabelais who is the expert on the dead zone right and i'm i'm looking for something that will say visually what the dead zone is Well, you know, we're out there on top of the ocean on the Gulf of Mexico and, you know, the water's green and blue and they pull out, you know, they pull up stuff and put it in petri dishes and there's really nothing that you can see. And I realize, you know, well, gee, how do I make this personal? And it turns out that Nancy has this little problem for a marine scientist. She gets seasick all the time. So the lead of my story was Nancy. You know, <laughs> Nancy Ravellay dons the 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 uh, the wetsuit and dives into the Gulf, even though even though she knows when she gets back on board she's going to be throwing up, and yeah, she hated it. But it, it made the case. It got attention and it came, too. I'm sure. It certainly got attention to the story. So our our you know our efforts are to, to get that information across. Um.
1: that's uh, that's the uh, the other thing I would say is we have to be able to talk about the good and the bad
2: Yeah, we can't just talk
1: about the happy stories and isn't it wonderful what we're all doing we have to talk about the real stuff that is not comfortable that is not always going to be sunshiny and that's okay to have that conversation and I think that's important for a lot of folks to understand
3: well I I think in in PR I think the media folks will understand and agree with this. Our bosses never understand and agree with this. You know, to have credibility, you have to admit and report on the bad, as well as the good. I mean, if all you're doing is being Pollyanna and talking about, oh, the successes successes and, and trying to sweep everything else that maybe wasn't as successful under the rug, uh, that's, that's not good. You, you have to get credibility, you have to be honest about the good and the bad.
0: It makes me think of scientific studies where at the end they kind of tee up, this is what we don't know, this is what's left to study, and it's kind of advancing that conversation of here, here are the gaps, you know? And there, I have that experience too, I won't go into the details, but there was a recent uh, national NPR story that had a really killer quote, um, but there was like one little mention of uh, another study that was kind of uh, a little bit more, I would say, uh, you know, n- not negative, but just kind of painted a, A darker picture I guess and someone was like why why did they include that I'm like because it's a study that's out in the world and they're telling the whole story so um, but let's talk about um, your role Chuck a little bit Um, it's been a busy uh, few years decade (laughs) for (laughs) the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority you all had the 2017 master plan last year 2019 annual plan of course projects are moving forward um, quickly the opening of the Center for River Studies so we know as much as the PR people would love just an open slate to, write, to have journalists you know, write whatever the good stuff we're doing and just you know focus there um, that that's not how it works. So if you wanted to just get stories out or what are the stories that you wish you know, were, were just covered and you could get all the, the, the work that CPRA is doing out um, more, what are some of the stories you wish were covered more extensively
3: I guess? Well there's, there's a fine line we walk. We, we need to tell people about the damage that has been done, that is ongoing, the challenges that face us—and it's it's daunting. I mean, that's that's discouraging news. But and, and, and oftentimes that's the easiest thing to get reported. You know, you know, a thousand airplanes land at the airport and nothing but let one crash and everybody's there. But it, it can be kind of counterproductive if that's all the people are hearing, if that's all the nation is hearing oh, man, it's just, uh, you know, we've been hearing about this all these years, they haven't solved it, they haven't done it, they haven't uh, made any advancement, it's not getting any better. At which point, it's like, why would the nation and these other congressmen and, uh, you know, appropriate any more money to us? Well, if it's not working and nothing's getting done, you know, it's like it's a lost cause. So, we, we walk that fine line. We need to pour mouth ourselves so we because we're begging for money. We are. But at the same time, I, like, I would like to see us have more report on the successes that we've had. Because people need to know that the money that's been sent here has been well spent and is making a difference. Uh, I know the Picayune, hopefully this weekend, I, they're doing a, a story on the barrier islands. I can't tell you how many people in Louisiana, South Louisiana, coastal Louisiana, I have heard say, Man, yeah, y- y- y'all are stupid, y'all should have gone out there and done them barrier islands. Y'all go to Dubai and see what they did with them <laughs> palm tree islands. That's what y'all should be doing. And you know, they have no idea the magnificent way in which this barrier island chain has been rebuilt. And in some cases, some of the same boats and companies that did the palm tree islands over there have built our, our islands off our coast. And we've learned lessons from them. They're palm tree islands, they've had some problems. We've learned some engineering. We learned from our mistakes and our successes, and the same thing with other people. We gotta share this knowledge. But we've been able to do our barrier islands in a way that uh, is engineered better, that gives them more sustainability. Uh, but to have people uh, thinking that nothing has been done, I was in Plaquemines Parish and a guy told me that same thing, go to Dubai, see the Palm Tree Islands. I said, if I could take you right now, just seven miles from where we are, there's one of those boats that was over there, it's building uh, the island. So. Uh, It's important to me that people understand that, yes, we can do this, we are having success, and that you're not, by appropriating money to us, you're not throwing it down a dry hole. It is making a difference. The U.S. Geological Survey said that we can now say that we're not losing a football field of land an hour, we can say it's a football field of land every 100 minutes, which is still losing land, not good, but you have to slow things down, and they did give us some of the credit for that. There are other environmental conditions and things going on uh, that, that affect that timeline. But, uh, you know, we are doing things. I mean, the hurricane protection, we can't call it the hurricane protection system around New Orleans. Risk uh, reduction. Risk reduction. The core, Gary Graves tried to call it the protection system, but he lost that battle with everybody, including our own staff. It's the risk reduction system around New Orleans. It's better than it's ever been. Mark's right, it's not as good as we need and want it to be, but it is. I mean, that money was, there's some phenomenal structures there and people need knows. to know this. And I've had, we've had interns from New Orleans working with us and said, well, nothing's been done around New Orleans since, our, the, you know, since Hurricane Katrina. And so I show them my slideshow and it's like, oh, we had no idea the biggest pump station and the gates and the flood walls and all that.
0: So you, I mean, you have had some successes in telling that story, right? So. What, I mean, I know you've done media tours. What are some of the other strategies that you've employed to make sure that the work that CPRA is doing, the projects that are being built, are getting the attention that they deserve?
3: Well, one of the things I do, it's like my main mission in life, is to try and make it understandable. Because, uh, you know, we we have great scientists, great project managers, engineers, and all, and they're working on a little project. Uh, but they're, they're almost in this silo here, and they talk in such technical terms uh, that it's, it's not getting out there and relatable to the public. I'll give one example of making things relatable. Back in 2012, when we came out with the 2012 master plan, we did editorial board meetings across the uh, coastal Louisiana, and, um, well, number one thing, these guys had never heard of an editorial board meeting. It's like, what? <laughs> do, do I? So I had to convince them to go do this. And, I told them don't use jargon and I specifically said I grew up in South Louisiana I didn't know what the GIWW was when I came to work here I had to ask and I found out oh it's the Intracoastal water the Intracoastal okay and I told them as you talk to these people do not use GIWW and other jargon first one we did was Lake Charles American Press and they're going on and on about the GIWW and their eyes are glazing over and I said I, I spoke up I was not supposed to speak up I said wait, 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 wait. do you guys know what the GIWW is? And they said, no, No, what is that? (laughs) I said, it's the the Intracoastal. Oh, the Intracoastal, okay. Made all the difference in the world. But as we went from newspaper to newspaper to newspaper, every single time they continued to use GIWW, (laughs) and every single time I had to stop them, and and everybody the same reaction, oh, the Intracoastal, because that's how we know it in South Louisiana, that's how the people, Know it, and you can't be doing stories and, and trying to get stuff about the GIWW when nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. You say intracoastal, and it makes all the difference in the world.
0: Yeah, and I mean you're being modest, but I've been on media tours with you, where we've had uh, you know John Snell at Whiskey Island and like folks out there, and I think you know there's no better way you know for people to understand it than to see it directly. So. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, there will be more opportunities for that. And some of them are not really far, you know, in terms of the restoration that's happening um, far from New Orleans. So moving on a little bit. So we're going to kind of open this up for anyone that wants to answer and kind of if you want to have a back and forth, feel free. Obviously, we're here at the conference. It's been made very clear that we're all need to we all need to work together to elevate this issue. Right. And we saw last hurricane season how um, devastating it was for so many places outside of Louisiana. Um, Communities from Miami to Virginia Beach are really starting to pay attention to the risks from climate change and sea level rise. And so there's more competition, right, for funding, for resources. Um, And we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of funding to secure. So how can we collectively better make that case and and sell Louisiana and sell the work that needs to be done?
1: I'll give a stab at it. I think that the stories like they have been, need to focus on people. People don't care about your sediment moving. They don't care about, people who don't live here don't care about it. You have to give them a reason, why does this matter in my life? Why should I spend the time to read this, to, to listen to this? It's not in everybody's back pocket.
3: So. People can relate to people, they can't relate to a cubic yard exactly. of sediment. So, so.
1: <laughs> being able to tell the stories of how Louisiana has adapted, we South Louisiana has adapted for generations. Mm-hmm. We've moved, we've learned, you know, we don't do what our parents do, or we do do what our parents do because it worked. Um, we have a long history here, and I think being able to tell that story not only of how we've adapted till now, but how we can adapt into the future. I think we as people think what we have today is what has always been, and it just isn't the case in South Louisiana. And I think that that story, through people, is a great way to connect with others.
0: That reminds me of a story that LEH did about uh, I think it was a Richard Campanella about the Bear island uh, under New Orleans. Yeah, and I think that's just such a great example of how things have always, are always changing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that story and 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 Richard Campanella and kind of how he's able to use geography and people and history to paint that picture.
4: Yeah, sometimes when I get asked to stand in for Rich, because I do feel like Rich is sort of a a LeBron James level (laughs) now when it comes to public speaking. Uh, But it was about the Island, right? Yes. It's the Bay Island the city. Um, I think he's always really good at giving you this long scope so that you have an idea of sort of the short lifespan of some of this, the land that we're talking about and also how shifting it is all the time. And I think that dynamic change is an interesting quality that people can tune in on. And I guess what I was going to answer your question too is I think that the dynamic Deltaic world that we live in has always been uh, mirrored in our culture. You know, I think it's, it's not a coincidence that we have this rich, rich culture in a place that's always in flux. I, I'm kind of lucky in this job to be able to come to events like this, but also go to meetings with all the arts councils in the state, and and also to different political events. And it's striking to me sometimes when I hear, there was in Loyola for a gathering of like three past mayors and the current mayor of New Orleans, and we talked for two hours and no one mentioned the coast. I mean, that, that's crazy mm-hmm. to think about that. The arts councils can talk you know, quite a lot about what they need as far as funding or what we're all gonna to do to work together. And you know, sometimes you have to remind them: look, you're the best messengers of this state that we're ever gonna have. Uh, you do work around coastal issues. You know, some of you without even thinking about it, how do we, for lack of a better word, package that work and put it on a on a world stage? Because we know that Louisiana culture itself. Mm-hmm. We know that putting it on a world stage brings people here, it gets attention. This story, those two stories need to fuse more, I think. Um, I think there should be funding put behind that to make it, and also on the delivery of it, I think that it needs to be done. But I don't think that, uh, you know, I think there's natural allies out there, It certainly we found, we think, to be one now. But I think that, you know, people shouldn't come to Jazz Fest and not get this mm-hmm. story. Um, how you do that, I think, isn't easy, but, um, you know, I think our friends from Shell can help with yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> lots of folks can help with it. I, but I think that, uh, to get the story out more, it, we sort of have to lean into that unique quality of Louisiana that we all sort of take for granted.
0: And we've been focusing a lot on this panel on kind of traditional media, you know, uh, magazine, news reporting, uh, documentaries, but, you know, Frank Grell has been here at the conference, and his fo- photographs have been um, on display. Um, Wendell Kural, we were talking about the play around Cheniere So. It, it doesn't just have to be, I mean, art has a huge role to play in telling the story as
4: well, correct? Yeah, I think theme is a good one to stick to. I, I think in the humanities, you know, in a, I think that we always think about ways to give that context next to the art, and I think that um, I think that more and more news outlets are also looking for ways to present this in a visually stunning way, as the New York Times piece did to pull people in, and I think that, you know, uh, digitally there's a lot of ways to do that now.
0: Mark, from your perspective, I mean, covering this issue here in Louisiana uh, for so long, but then also, you know, with this recent partnership, I mean, what about, what can Louisiana be doing to make that national case, to get people to care and pay attention? I mean, is it really going to take another hurricane for the attention to come back to the state, or? Um,
2: that, that unfortunately, is a, is a good question. Uh, we've got, you know, the legislature today meeting over a budget where, it, you know the, the ends don't meet they continue to not meet and fortunately the you know most of the money involved with coastal restoration at least is is completely protected um, and, um, the uh, the state is going to have to continue to make the case that uh, I think they've begun to do, which is that um, uh, the concern that was raised, you know, at, at, immediately after Katrina, well, are you guys going to help pay for the cost of this? And we were given a free ride for, uh, for you know, so far for 13 years on our share of the cost of the levy system. And that, that bill's coming due. Um, we have... Uh, uh, a huge chunk of money that's coming in because of the BP oil spill. Uh, uh, The state's going to have to make a good case to Congress that that is our money, and we are spending our money, not somebody else's money, to do these things so that we get credit for that, Um, while at the same time also saying, look, and we're also going to be using you know the offshore money that we now have that's a little bit bigger than it used to be and hopefully you know we've made a good case so far um both obama and trump have tried to th- pull it out of their budgets and have been stopped so that's a good sign uh but we're also going to ha- you know the, the state itself is going to have to follow the lead of lafouche and, and Terrebonne parishes and say look We have to pay for this ourselves. You know, a share of this is our own cost and we need to do that. And recognize that, you know, one of the ironies about what we are doing and what we have done since Katrina and giving ourselves both much better levies and starting the coastal restoration program is that everyone else in the United States now looks at us and goes, well, we need that too, you know. I mean, New York City is talking about building a surge barrier. Uh, after, after Harvey last year, uh, Texas is looking at a complete, um, a complete uh, risk reduction plan for them. And those are, you know, they're going to be going to Congress and asking for that money. And that money is probably going to go to them. And if it's going to them, it's not going to be coming to us. So we're going to have to make sure that our arguments uh, continue to be on point and continue to show that we are helping ourselves so that Congress doesn't get into that point of, well, you know, they never pay for anything.
0: And you were referencing that the voters of Terrebonne and Lafourche Parishes. Right, yeah. they,
2: they both passed uh, uh, multiple uh, sales tax increases to pay for, uh, for levies. And, um, you know, I'm still waiting. <laughs> we're still waiting to see that in some of the localities here in the New Orleans area. Um, and you know, and the state has some serious concerns about how to pay that hundred million dollar a year bill that it's gonna, that it's gonna come due probably next year. So,
0: well, I'm sure you'll be following that story, yeah. uh, closely in the years ahead. So, um, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the other stories or they're, they're not stories cause they don't exist, but stories that you wish would be reported or, or opportunities that you think. Um, for talking about coastal issues in Louisiana that just, you know, you think haven't gotten a big spotlight on them. What are the underreported stories that you would like to see uh, more of a focus on and anyone on the panel can take this?
3: Well, nationally, it's the importance of Louisiana to the rest of the nation. And I think that's really, really important that they understand that. (coughs) Because we are uniquely important to the nation for the waterways and the waterborne commerce that comes down here, but when you look at the ports of Louisiana. Louisiana is the number one state in the nation for ports and tonnage by far. We, uh, the tonnage we have is more than double New York, New Jersey, and California combined. And so the nation is, is uniquely dependent upon us for so many things the energy inter- infrastructure, Port Fouchon, the Louisiana offshore oil port, the, um, the Henry Hub in Erath, uh, for the, the gas uh, prices, natural gas, and so many other things. And, and you know, uh, certainly our culture, our seafood. You know, you go to Maryland and Baltimore and those Baltimore-Maryland crab cakes, they're using Louisiana blue crabs. Uh, they will sheepishly admit it if, you, if, if pressed. <laughs> and uh, uh, but so many things like that. And, and what the heck would the History Channel do without swamp people and, and those kinds of things that we... We do down here. The rest of the nation doesn't un- needs to understand this because, yeah, they hear we're getting uh, BP money, but that's only that's not enough, and it's it's only for a limited amount of time. Oh, now you're getting go Mesa money, and you're getting some of these things, and then they think, okay, so Louisiana's taken care of. I got needs at home, but you know what? We have to convince these these people these because these congressmen, these senators, in in D.C. have to understand that an appropriation in Louisiana is helping their folks back home, and if they cut us off from that, uh, they're hurting their people back home. So there is a national story, and the people in Louisiana are like, why would they send us any money, we're just old Louisiana. You know, we we gotta get over our inferiority complex on that, and understand how uniquely important we are to the nation, and not be afraid to ask. But how do we get that word out to the rest of the nation? That's a challenge, I know when Garrett Graves Uh, told me he was leaving CPRA and eventually ran for Congress. He was talking about doing a foundation because this exact kind of thing to try and bring this word to the rest of the nation. We have great NGOs. Uh, You're certainly part of it and and, and Simone and uh, uh, CRCL helping to put on this. Uh, Somehow we've got to get together and find a way to bring this educational component, not only to the people of Louisiana, but the people of the United States of America and uh, we started a conversation on that. We're all do. everybody's doing a little bit, but maybe we can do a more concerted effort that we can uh, get that multiplier effect off the synergy of what we do.
0: Do you want to ask? Oh, so- Amy, I want to get Amy real quick, because being kind of a journalist now inside, what is, what is your perspective on the underreported reported stories?
1: Yeah, I may not be as good of a communications person as I think I am, because with the conversation and the stories that I want to see, and it's starting to happen, is the real down-to-earth discussion about what do we do with the fact that we're smaller in 50 years. What do we do with that? Because every community, every person who hears coastal restoration, in my experience, hears coastal restoration in my backyard. It's not coastal restoration over there. It's not for the better good. It's my fishing spawn is going to be okay or my house is going to remain where it is. I'd like to see a better conversation, a deeper conversation about you're not going to be there. This is and if you're not going to be there, the way you are now, can you change the way you are living there? Or is it just not possible anymore? Mm-hmm. And I and it's tough and it's an awful awful thing. But until we have that honest conversation about what do we do with communities that Aren't getting the restoration in their backyard? I think we're not being we're not telling the whole story.
0: Were you gonna add to that, Mark?
2: So, a couple of things that uh, I've been thinking about, in part because of uh, listening to Sessions here, um, <clears throat> a couple of issues that that we need to do a better job of explaining are okay. So, what exactly is going to be the effects of of these projects, I sat through a session yesterday about um, uh, comparing uh, quote natural wetlands to restored wetlands, and all of the restored uh, things were not as good as the natural wetlands. And I'm like, yeah, well, well, of course they're not; they're restored. You know and you're looking at them five to twelve years how long were those natural wetlands there were they there for 100 years 200 years 300 years we don't know so that's one of the issues that we need to do a better job of explaining we need to do a better job of explaining in great detail what is going to happen to fisheries and in, in as these especially the diversions occur um, what are we going to do with with the people who now are making their living off of oysters who will be put out of business by these projects, which we know it's gonna happen. I mean, everybody knows it and they're ignoring it. Like I said, when I was here in 1984, all the oystermen got up and said, you know, you're gonna put us out of business with Carnarvon And and I remember very well, Department of Natural Resources officials said, yep, we know that, you're under 15 year leases and at the end we won't give them to you. And in the back of the room was a guy from Wildlife and Fisheries sitting there. And what happened was that Wildlife and Fisheries kept giving out the leases every 15 years until they got killed and the oystermen sued and we ended up with a case that went all the way to the Louisiana Supreme Court before uh, the court ruled that you know our constitution says, sorry, The environment takes precedence over your particular uh, economic value because your economic value is given to you by the state and the state is making this decision so we need to recognize what those are and do a better job of explaining how we're going to deal with that and the state needs to do a better job of explaining how it's going to deal with that which it hasn't done yet it hasn't said well this is where the new oyster beds are going to be or Here's the big pot of money that we have that will buy out Oystermen. They haven't done that yet. They're moving it. You know, they're kicking it down the road. You know, used to be five years down the road. Now it's six years down the road because they expanded the time for the next uh, um, update. So that's 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 another one. Um, The the other is continuing exactly uh, what you were saying. A much better idea of, of. where are people, you know where drawing Louisiana's new map? That was the 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 uh, National Academy study that was done in two thousand and five, two thousand and six that said the state of Louisiana needs to draw a map that shows what what is salvageable. The state has done a great job of doing that in the last uh, several iterations of the master plan but it hasn't taken that next step. It's hiding behind that. People are, any plans to, to um, tell people uh, whether or not they can live in this area are gonna be completely voluntary. Well, that's nice, but how voluntary is it if what you are doing is going to guarantee that that community is not gonna exist? Now is the time to really start doing that. The state has begun doing that, uh, with the non-structural program that is put into place. But, you know, you look at that, and there are 26,000 homes in that plan um, for $6 billion. So that's, you know, need to do a better job of that. We, we, we as the press need to do a better job of explaining all that.
3: Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd fault CPRA and the master plan for... That uh, non-structural program, $6 billion, it's down the road. Uh, We don't have the money, we don't have the resources uh, right now to to institute that. And our our efforts are being concentrated on doing the kind of ecosystem restoration and protection so that hopefully we don't get to that point where we have to do it to that degree. But it's
2: not down the road because people have to pay flood insurance today and that flood insurance is going to continue to rise to the point where they will not be able to live in their homes because the state has made a conscious decision that they will not be protected by levees. There's nothing wrong with that decision. It's an accurate decision, but what has to be done is that the state also has to recognize that it's going to have to deal with the financial problems of True. those communities.
3: True, and what the state recognizes is that we don't have the money to do it all. Uh, We're resource constrained, the $50 billion for the master plan. Some people think that we're saying that we can fix the coast with $50 billion and do it in 50 years. That's not what it is at all. I mean, you take the uh, first 2007 master plan and you add up all the projects in there and it's hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And so when they did the 2012 plan, they said we have to be more realistic. What do we think we can possibly get over the next 50 years and then prioritize the projects? We need more, we're more money. We're trying to get more money. And you know, the the master plan, even taking into account the 2017 master plan, the higher levels of sea level rise, and we have three scenarios, but if you look at it, the the big drop off doesn't really occur for almost 20 years. So that's a window of opportunity we have right now. If we can get the money and we can take those projects that are in the master plan that are 20, 30, 40 years down the road and get the money and front load those during this window of opportunity, that's a priority. Mm To try and keep that map from turning as red as we always yeah. show and that drop-off. And to try and, and and create an environment where people won't have to move out of their homes. And and Mark's right. I, I don't disagree with him at all on this, but uh, you can't do it all with the limited resources and uh, you know well, we have one- people work on this full time and, and 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 that's you know that's something that was in uh, hinted at in the, uh, the New York Times series here with the, uh, the Times-Picay. And I know when I was writing with the, uh, uh, the guys and looking for a theme, and, and part of it is how heartbreaking this is. Mm-hmm. And it's not just heartbreaking on the people whose homes are affected. I mean, these are our homes. This is our community. These are our, this is our family. This yep. is our culture. But it's also very, very hard on the people who are doing the master plan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. knowing that we can't, do that ring levy around Lafitte? Wonderful people, great culture, great history. Love them, but that's a billion dollars, you know, over a billion dollars, and we don't have that money. We have to go and sell this to Congress. Well, you know, and to, the, to D.C. and they're going to say a, a, a billion dollars, and you only got two thousand people there, you know. No, now we'll do a billion dollars if you're going to do a half a million or a million people. So that's mm-hmm. but so we have to say in the master plan, leave things out. And I tell you, it's very personally hard on our master plan team to tell people you're not in the master plan. That's heartbreaking. I know our people lose sleep on it. That's that's part of the human angle that people don't hear about. And that's kind of what I know when I was writing with John Schwartz and and, and, uh, Kevin Sack, is that they want the rest of the nation to know, they didn't say it as directly, but it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a sub-theme within it. You know, the rest of the nation and the world are gonna to have to face some of the same problems we have. And I think what they want them to know, you're not gonna have enough resources to do it all either. But it's better if you spend the money now because it's gonna be more effective than waiting down the road. But also, the heartbreaking decisions you're gonna to have to make, too. Mm-hmm. This is, these are human problems that we're, trying to solve with limited resources but it's human beings who have to make that master plan and make those decisions and we're not giving up on anybody you know we want to if we can get the money and we're always trying to get more money and 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 hopefully uh, better science and engineering maybe technology maybe better things that will enable us to do more because it's it's heartbreaking to our people right. to not be able to do everything for everybody right.
0: and i mean one thing that the master plan does provide, right, is information and data. And you know, I think the um, flood risk and resilience viewer is a great example of that, where people can really hone in on their individual address. Like, what are the risks? What are the resources? Obviously, the conversation has been started um, to a certain extent with the LA Safe initiative, and so you have to kind of. Start that process, and then there are questions about funding, right? I mean, does, is it state funding? Is it parish funding? Is it federal funding? So I mean it's 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 challenging, but I think you know you're you're providing that information. you're allowing people to get access to it. I know a lot of our organizations have done work to kind of bring people in these communities to the table so they can understand the risks. and I mean, with diversions too, it's it's, yeah, the part of it, and from my perspective is there it has been so much coverage of Diversions and fisheries, but what about diversions and landowner in Belchase? You know, what about diversions and person that rep- depends on his dress and needs that wetland buffer? I mean, I would like to see media sometimes take a broader perspective and and start to communicate why, if you're just someone living their life in New Orleans and want to be here for another 50 years, why should you care about what's going down on down in Plaquemines Parish? Why, if you're living in Belchase or Chalmette, you should care. So, I mean. It's hard. You know, we all have different aspects of this, and so many of us are affected in different ways. Um, but I think we got a little bit of a preview of some of the stories that are to come in the, in the years ahead. So, um, I'd like to open it up to questions from the audience, but first, can we please give a round of applause? I mean... And you have been listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We were re-airing a panel from the State of the Coast Conference featuring various journalists and communicators. Um, all targeted toward raising awareness to Louisiana's land loss crisis and mobilizing support for the solutions needed to address it hope you enjoyed the conversation and we'll be back next week with another show as a reminder you can go online anytime at DeltaDispatches.org. subscribe to the podcast rate us and catch up on previous episodes thanks for listening and we'll see you next week